there are a lot of insecure Christians. And when I say insecure, I don't mean about their weight or their height or their singing ability or any other trait that we tend to be insecure about because there's plenty of those too. I'm talking about insecurity concerning our faith. We have way too many insecure Christians. There are too many Christ followers who are constantly wondering, have I done enough to make it to heaven? Have I done enough? Have I checked enough boxes? Has the scale tipped in my direction? Have I done enough stuff to get me to heaven? And let me make it easy for you if you're in that camp or you ever find yourself in that camp of wondering that, no, you haven't. Can't do it. Because there's nothing we can do that will earn a place in heaven for us. I don't care how hard you try, how good you are, how many great things you've done, no matter how much you serve, you cannot earn your way there. Everything that needs to be done has already been done by Jesus, right? I mean, it's, he paid the price. He paid for our sin through his death. He won the victory for us through his resurrection. We are forgiven and we are justified by his grace. That's pretty much the whole sermon, folks. So if you want to tune out, stop listening, that's all you need to hear. But we're going to talk for another 25 minutes or so. That being said, we do have a part to play in this process. I mean, if we didn't have a part to play, then everyone would go to heaven, right? Jesus did everything that he, was, he needed to do, so the price has been paid. And the Bible makes it clear, though, that not everyone will go to heaven, even though God wants it to be that way. It is God's will that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's very clear. God wants everyone to repent. The problem is not everyone does. And there's a step then that we have to take to secure our eternity. There is something we have to do. And this step is exactly what I want to talk about as we wrap up our message series called Fact Check. We've been examining some things that people think the Bible says but we have it either slightly wrong or we have it really, really wrong in some areas. And today we're going to look at this statement. Anyone who believes in Jesus goes to heaven. Anyone who believes in Jesus goes to heaven. So we are four weeks into this thing, right? And obviously if we're talking about this statement, then there's obviously something either not right or slightly off about this statement. But here's the problem. This phrase... This language is straight out of the Bible. In fact, it's in the most famous verse of the entire Bible. Let's take a look, John 3, 16. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who, what? Believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. According to John 3, 16, everyone who believes in Jesus goes to heaven. And yet that's what we're fact-checking today. So am I saying John 3.16 isn't right? Let's not go down that road, okay? Uh, but as you read that verse, did you see an asterisk there? You know, were there any qualifiers? Any exceptions? No. Everyone who believes has eternal life. So why am I fact-checking this? It seems pretty cut and dried. It's got to be true, right? Well, obviously, yes. And no. The answer is yes, because the Bible could not be any more clear on this point. But to help you understand where the problem comes in, let me give you an example. In 1996, R. Kelly wrote his hit song, I Believe I Can Fly. 
For the soundtrack of what movie? Space Jam is correct. Very good. And the lyric symbolizes reaching your dreams, okay? Going to the highest level. I believe I can fly. I can be the best I can be. It's very inspirational language, right? Okay? But this same phrase, I believe I can fly, means something entirely different if it's said by someone standing on top of a 50-story building right before they jump into the air. I believe I can fly. That's a problem. Same phrase, same words, entirely different meaning. Okay? So yes, it's true, as we look at this language from John 3.16, that anyone who believes in Jesus has eternal life, but two things have to be true for this to take place. Number one, believe has to be the right belief. And number two, Jesus has to be the right Jesus. Belief, believe has to be the right belief, and Jesus has to be the right Jesus. Does believing in Jesus get me to heaven? It depends on what you believe believe means, and it depends on what Jesus you placed your belief in. Okay, so let's talk about that. Let's start with Jesus. The Jesus you believe in has to be the Jesus of the Bible. There are people who have placed their faith in a Jesus that is not the Jesus that Scripture teaches us who he was. It's not enough to believe there was once a man named Jesus who taught some really good stuff. There's plenty of people in the world who believe there was a man named Jesus who taught some good things. It's not enough to believe that there was a great teacher named Jesus who was also a great prophet. That's not enough. It's not even enough to believe there was a great prophet and teacher named Jesus who performed incredible miracles. Do you know who believes that there was a great prophet and teacher named Jesus who performed incredible miracles? Every Muslim on the planet believes that. They believe he was a powerful teacher and a prophet, and he will return to judge the Antichrist someday. And the Quran discusses several of Jesus' miracles, including giving sight to the blind, healing lepers, and even raising the dead. So believing in that Jesus is still not enough. In order to receive what the Bible promises for those who believe in Jesus, we have to believe in the Jesus the Bible describes. And we don't need to look any further than the words of Jesus himself if we want to know how the Bible describes Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So how does Jesus describe himself? He describes himself as the son of God who is the only way to eternal life. The road only goes through him. You can't believe in anyone or anything other than this exact Jesus and receive the promised eternal life. And that's the sticking point for a lot of people. That's what we have to believe in. So, if that's where you land, if that's who the Jesus is that you believe in, so let's talk now about belief. And I've talked about this one before, that believing in Jesus is not enough in some cases because the Bible talks about belief in different ways. James 2.19, you say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. Okay, so you believe in God. Great, you're now in alignment with the demons. That doesn't do you much good, does it? 
You see, the biblical word believe is more than just acknowledging. You know, I believe in Craig. Craig Benkendorf, I believe in him. He's right there. How can I not? Okay? I believe in him. That doesn't mean that I put my trust in him. That doesn't mean, I do though. I trust you, man. You know, I mean, I go, I go there with you. Um, but it's more than just acknowledging. It's more than just agreeing that Jesus was real. The Greek word translated as believe in John 3.16 means to believe, to trust, to rely on. In John's gospel, John never uses the words repent, repentance, or faith to describe the way people are saved. He doesn't use those words. He uses the word believe because that term includes all those ideas. They are all wrapped up in the Greek word that is translated as believe. By telling his audience they need to believe, they would have understood that faith and repentance and trust were all wrapped up in that word. We see it in John 3.16. We also see it in John 6.29 and in chapter 20 as well. In John 6.29, Jesus told them, this is the only work that God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. Everything that you have to do for God can be reduced to belief in Jesus. So it's obvious that the word belief contains more than just, yeah, I acknowledge he existed. There's so much more to it. John 20. But these are written so that you, this is John kind of giving his purpose statement for writing his gospel. John 20. These are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. You see, when we believe in Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, we are placing our faith and placing our trust in him. We are surrendering to his lordship and changing the direction of our lives to align with his will that is found in his word. That is belief in Jesus according to scripture. So what does that look like? How do we live that out? It's not enough to believe there was somebody who lived named Jesus, but in order to receive eternal life, you have to believe in Jesus as he's written. And belief in that Jesus means there's action. There's a difference made in your life. It means life change. It means a new story is being written. As we see in other parts of the Bible, it requires our faith and our actions to be in alignment with each other. It's like two, two, uh, two train tracks. You know, you have those two bars on the train tracks that run parallel to each other. That's our faith and our actions. And if one starts to get out of alignment, that train can no longer move down that track anymore. They have to stay parallel. They have to stay in lockstep with one another. And that is true with our faith and our actions. John talks about that in chapter 15. Jesus said, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. 
Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. And this brings great glory to my Father. So here, one thing you will notice about this passage we just read, these eight verses, Jesus repeats himself quite a bit here. I mean, he keeps coming back to it. He hits it again and again and again. Why does Jesus repeat himself? Because it's important and because we're, he knows we're probably going to miss it. <laughs> and so he makes sure, he's like, no, 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 get this. Hear this again. Okay, one more time. You've got to remain in me. You've got to remain in me. Jesus gives us a great analogy here for how our faith and our fruit, our good works, the things we produce with our lives that, are, that bring glory to God, our faith and our fruit work together. And this is an area where so many can get off track. So many people can go down the wrong road here. We can skew to the side of grace and think it doesn't matter at all what we do. Well, Jesus paid it all, right? Well, now I can live however I want because Jesus has already forgiven me. All I have to do is believe, and I'm good. Or we can have a works-based approach to God where we feel we have to earn our place in heaven. That if we don't do enough, we're not going to make it. But Jesus teaches us kind of a balanced approach here, a balanced perspective to faith and works. Just like a tightrope walker who walks across a rope, there is danger from leaning too far on the one side or the other. If they lean too far to one side or the other, they're done. They're going to fall. And it's the balanced perspective on faith and our good works that keeps us moving forward and keeps us standing. And when a tightrope tightrope walker moves forward and they walk across that beam or that rope, uh, they carry a pole to help balance themselves. They can, they can move it to one side or the other to offset it, uh, and it's further out than where their arms even would be, so they can counteract any quavers that they have in, in their balance. And so they, they move forward with this pole to help balance themselves, and when they start to lean too far towards one side or the other, the, the pole can help correct their balance and bring them back to center. And guys, the Word of God is the pole that God has given us to keep us balanced on so many issues, and this is one of those. When we get off to one side or the other on this issue, too far towards the grace side, too far towards the workspace side, the Word of God helps bring us back to center and keep us balanced. And for the rest of our time together this morning, I want to touch on a few balancing principles that Jesus gives us concerning this really important topic for us. And the first balancing principle that Jesus gives us is this. Your value to God is that you're you. Your usefulness to God is in what you do. Your value to God is that you are you. Your usefulness to God is in what you do. Let me explain that. You have value to God, and that value is intrinsic. It's because of who you are, because he made you. He created you with a plan and a purpose. Therefore, you have value to him. My kids don't have to perform for me to deserve my love. I love them. Why? Because they're mine. I love my kids, and God is our father in heaven. You don't have to earn your father's love. You don't have to deserve your father's love. Your value to God is because you are you. But it doesn't feel like God loves me. I don't deserve it. 
And my challenge to you, for those of you who feel that way, they question God's love for them, they don't feel like they deserve God's love, don't view God through the lens of your earthly relationships. There are many times that our perspective towards God gets warped and distorted because of this messed up world that we live in and because of the messed up relationships that we have. It could be the relationship you had with your father. It could be the relationship with your spouse. It could be how you were treated as a child. All sorts of things can play into that, but our perspective towards God gets all distorted because we start to view our vertical relationship through the lens of how garbage some of our horizontal relationships are. And we look at God based through this warped lens based on our experiences, our relationships, our families, our culture, and we see God in a way that's just not real and it's not biblical. The longer you look at God or yourself through this distorted lens, the more likely it is that you will start to believe a distorted truth. You will start to embrace a distorted reality. You don't have to perform for God to earn his love. How do we know that? Let's look at the balancing pole of scripture. Romans 5.8. But God shows his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. God loves you so much the way you are that Jesus died for you, you specifically, before you ever did anything to show God your love. Knowing that you would reject him, God died for you. Before you would even accept his love for you, he gave his life for you. So your value to God is that you're you. Your value to God is that you exist. Stop trying to earn God's love because you don't have to. It's there. But, and here's the balancing principle, your usefulness to God, your usability by God is based on what you do. Jesus taught here that God cuts off every branch that produces no fruit. If you are not producing fruit, if you are not producing good works with your life that align with the life that Jesus lived, that helped to further the gospel and his kingdom here on earth, then you have no usefulness to God. There's a passage in Revelation chapter 3. It's a letter uh, to the church in Laodicea that I've referenced before, and it's where Jesus says, I wish you were either hot or cold, but because you are lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And he's writing this letter to Laodicea, and for a long time in my life when I was younger, I used to struggle with this passage because I'm like, why in the world would God say he wanted people cold? You know, I understand hot, like, come on, get fired up about God and our relationship, but cold, distant, you know, why would God say, I wish you were cold? No, God wants everybody hot, right? And so I, I started to do some research. Once again, context, church, not just context in the passage, but historical and cultural context are really significant when you're talking about an ancient civilization like the church in Laodicea. And the church in Laodicea was incredibly blessed. They, they were g gifted uh, with a rudimentary form of ophthalmology. They had this eye salve that they, they had developed that cured a bunch of ailments with people's eyes. They had a thriving banking industry. Uh, they had a textile industry. They had a lot of money flowing through trade route. The one thing Laodicea did not have was a fresh water supply. And so they had to go miles and miles and miles and miles to these hot springs to get water and bring it back for use for the city. And so that is how they got their water supply. So here's the deal. 
they would go to these hot springs, and the hot springs were awesome because you can bathe in them. They, they have soothing properties. There's medicinal properties to the hot waters and all those things. They loved the hot springs. They definitely understood the value of a cool, cold drink and the refreshment that it brings. But when they went to the hot springs and they brought this hot water back to the city for use, how did it arrive at the city? Lukewarm. And it was not pleasant to drink. Lukewarm water is not the greatest thing to drink. Lukewarm coffee is worse. But they, they, they knew, and God was speaking their language. He was giving them a teaching, an analogy that they could understand. And then he even talks and he deals with all the other stuff they have. He says, I've, I've given you salve to put on your eyes. I've given you gold that's been refined. I've given you uh, linens that are clean and, and white and pure. And he's, he's like throwing this in the face of all the things that they hold up and say, look, aren't we good at these things? God's saying, no, that's trash. I'm giving you new stuff. And then he says, but I wish you were hot or cold, but because you are like this lukewarm water that you know all too well, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Hot water, useful. Cold water, useful. Lukewarm water, no real use. And I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And that's what God explained to them, and I believe applies to us as well. If we get to this place where we're not producing fruit, we become useless to God, and he's about to spit us out of his mouth. The same principle applies here. God wants us to be useful. And there's so much to be done here in this life. And we are the ones, church, we are the ones God has chosen to reach people with his love. There's not a plan B, folks. The church is God's plan to reach the world with his love. We're it. And when we live as God commanded, we're showing the world what God's love looks like. We're demonstrating what a changed life looks like. We're confirming that the gospel is real and that it works. Not that we're perfect people, but that we're messed up people that the Holy Spirit is transforming on an ongoing basis to look more like Jesus. Now, Jesus also says here that he prunes the branches that do bear fruit. If we're productive, if we're doing things for God, God is going to continue to refine you. God is going to continue to eliminate those things from your life that could drag you down. He's going to get rid of the things that maybe aren't necessary so that you could focus on those things that are, that are really, really important in life. In the process of refining gold, it's pretty automated now when they refine gold, but in older times, the refiner would heat the gold to a molten state and just stir it. And over time, the impurities would rise to the top of that, and they would skim them off the top and keep going, and the gold would continue to get more and more pure until eventually he would see his own reflection looking back at him from the top of this gold. And that's God's goal for us in the pruning process, in the refining, that we would become pure over time, holy, more like Jesus, that when God God looks down at us, he sees his son's reflection back at us. The way to produce fruit, this is the second balancing principle, the way to produce fruit is to be connected to the root. The way to produce fruit is to be connected to the root. Jesus is the source of everything. He is the grapevine. He is the root vine. The vine extends into the ground and becomes the root system, and that's what Jesus functions as. It brings nourishment. It brings sustenance to all of the offshoots, to all of the branches. And Jesus says, you, y'all are the branches. We are the branches. And if we are going to have any hope of living the kind of life that will glorify God and show the world what his love looks like, we've got to stay connected to the vine. We've got to stay connected to the root. So how do we produce fruit? Here's the big secret, church. You ready? 
how to do what God wants you to do in one easy step, how to live a productive Christian life, remain in Jesus. Jesus only said it 16 times in this passage. I don't know if it's 16. Don't count. I'm just speaking in hyperbole. He said it a lot. Remain in me. Stay close to him. The word remain is translated abide in other translations. Abide in me. It's a word that's really thick with meaning. Abide means to stay, to dwell, to remain, to endure, to continue to be present with Jesus, both now and into the future, like a branch that's connected to him. It's like an evergreen tree. You know, evergreen trees stay green throughout the year. Their needles stay green. They're always green, no matter what the circumstances around it. It could be the heat of summer. It can be the dead of winter. They're still green. And we need to be the same way. We need to be always green, no matter what the circumstances. We need to be full of life, not stopping. We need to remain with Jesus. Some of you keep losing your leaves when life gets hard. And we need to be evergreens and remain fruitful no matter what is happening around us. But we can't be fruitful unless we remain in him. We can't hope to have good things produced from our lives unless we're connected to the source of all good things. And that happens through prayer. It amazes me that there are followers of Jesus who go through life trying to live for God without a consistent prayer life. Without spending time with the one that you're following the one you've committed your life to. Prayer is our lifeblood in our relationship with him. It's the sap flowing through the branches. It connects us. It nourishes us. It sustains us. And if your prayer life has dropped off, it's time to renew your connection to him. So get this, and this is so important. Pay attention to this part. God is the source of your good works. The Holy Spirit empowers us and he produces the fruit in us. It's not us doing them. So how do we do them? By remaining in Jesus, by staying close to him. And when we do, the fruit will follow. Which leads us to our next uh, balancing principle. We don't please God through trying. We please him through being. We don't please God through trying. We please God through being. There are some people who get saved every day. They feel guilty. They feel like they need to get saved all over again. I used to do this as a kid. Maybe some of you are like me. Every Sunday night, I got saved. I'd go down to the altar like, I need Jesus, Pastor. I mean, every week, I felt like I, and I was eight. You know, what heinous crime had I committed at eight years old? But I felt like I needed to repent and get right with Jesus each and every week. And it wasn't just I wanted to pursue his presence. It was, no, I was getting saved all over again. I was responding to the altar call each and every week. Even into my early teen years, I'd get saved every week. But that is not what God intends for our relationship with him. That's an immature approach to our relationship with God. In fact, that's not a relationship. That's an obligation because we're feeling like we have to prove ourselves. God is saying continue in the relationship that has already begun. If you are married and I say remain in that marriage, I'm not saying every day you go before a pastor and you get married all over again. You see what I'm saying? You remain in that marriage. I'm not saying become married again and again and again. You're already married. I'm saying continue in that state and develop that relationship. Well, our salvation is the same thing. We don't get saved all over again. 
We continue in that state, in that relationship with God, and we grow that. That's what Jesus is saying to us. Remain in me. Continue following me. Develop this relationship that has begun. And if we will do that, we will bear much fruit. His words, not mine. Branches don't try to produce fruit. They simply remain in the vine. Fruit happens. Okay, you don't have to try if you remain in Jesus. Your job is to remain in the vine with Jesus. God is pleased not because of what we do, but by us being deeply connected to him. Stop trying to please God and just be with God. That could set some of you free in a way you've never experienced freedom in God. Stop trying to please God and just be with God. Now, we could even read this passage, though, that Jesus taught on and skew it towards this performance-based, works-based Christianity. John 15, 6, anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. Now, some read this as, if we don't do enough to please God, we get burned up. God sends us to hell. They could read it that way, but that doesn't fit contextually with what he's saying here in that misunderstanding of this verse Fruit is God's demand upon our life and the way we make God happy. And if we're not careful, we'll get stuck categorizing ourselves as unfruitful or we'll, we'll put others into the fruit-bearing or non-fruit-bearing branches and we play the comparison game. But here's the reality of that verse. Fruit or the lack of fruit shows what's going on on the inside. When this verse says, hey, anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers, such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. It's not talking about, well, they were fruitless. It's talking about they weren't connected to me. Because how does fruit take place? By remaining in him. The problem is not you're not doing enough. The problem is you're not connected to Jesus. That's the issue. It, fruit reveals whether we are living connected or disconnected lives. Fruit production, here's the thing. Fruit production is the natural consequence of staying connected. It's the end result. You stay connected, you remain in me, you abide in me, you will produce much fruit. You can see that in long-term friendships or marriages. We do not choose whether or not we produce fruit. We do, however, choose where we abide and how we stay connected. That is what Jesus is after. And that's the deeper question he's asking. Are you connected to me? Are you remaining in me? It's the invitation to join the conversation, to jump into the game, to participate, to live fully alive, that abundant life that Jesus wants to bring us. And that only happens when the life, the love, and the goodness of Christ flows through us. We become an extension of him. We show his life, his love, and his holiness to those who are around us. It's not about what you do. It's about who you are. But if who you are is a connected follower of Jesus, you will see fruit in your life. If you don't, then you're either disconnected or you're not healthy spiritually. Hannah, would you come? I have one more balancing principle that I want to share with you this morning, and that is this. What you do isn't just about you. We're so good at making it all about us. Our faith even. We're so good at making our faith all about us. Here's the thing. If you're a branch and you're connected to the vine, it's really important to realize you're not the only branch. The room is full of branches. Through Jesus, we're connected to one another. And here's the key. It's the fruit of the tree that matters. 
No one looks at an apple tree and says, boy, that branch really produces some incredible apples. Nobody calls out a branch. No, it's the tree. People point to the tree and talk about the fruit it produces. That's our goal as followers of Jesus, as a part of his church, as a part of his body. It's the body of Christ who produces the fruit, and Jesus gets the glory. That's what it all comes down to. This isn't just a message that can apply to our life. Guys, this is our lives. All I want to be is connected to and remain in the vine. All I want to do is be a fruitful branch so that God will be glorified, that his love would be clearly seen, his power would be demonstrated through the fact that a messed up, broken dude like me has become capable of producing incredible fruit because of Jesus and that I remain in him. And that's whatever I'm doing. Not just sharing my faith with someone or preaching on a Sunday morning, but paying bills, driving to a meeting, roasting coffee, drinking coffee, playing with my kids. Whatever I'm saying, whatever I'm doing, the attitude I have, the words I speak, how I say them, the things I do, they should all be fruits of my faith that show that my vine, my source, my Jesus is real and that I'm remaining in him. 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now, newsflash, I don't succeed at that. There's plenty of moments daily where I fail, where my actions, my attitude, my words, they don't line up. And that doesn't mean that I need to get saved all over again. It means I need to take time to reconnect with Jesus. And over time, the Holy Spirit continues to grow me and work in me as he does on you. And we become more and more fruitful. 2005, the commencement speaker at Stanford University graduation service took the podium and talked about how to live before you die. He said, you've got to find what you love. Your work is going to fill a large part of your life, and the only way to be truly satisfied is to do what you believe is great work. And the only way to do great work is to love what you do. If you haven't found it yet, keep looking and don't settle. As with all matters of the heart, you'll know when you find it. And like any great relationship, it just gets better and better as the years roll on. So keep looking. Don't settle. It's great advice. That speaker's name was Steve Jobs, co-founder and CEO of Apple before he passed away a few years back. He's been called a tech titan, a visionary, a pioneer. But in that same speech about doing what you love to do in life, Steve Jobs shared the question he asked himself to make sure that he was living life to its fullest. And he asked himself, if today were the last day of my life, would I want to do what I'm about to do today? If today was the last day of my life, would I want to do what I'm about to do today? How would we answer that question? Are you satisfied with your life in that capacity? Do you have great work to do today? Would you change anything on your schedule if it were the last day of your life? And before you do, think about this. Steve Jobs says you need to find what you love and do it. The Bible says we need to remember who we love and remain in him. Remember who you love. Remember who loves you. Remember who gave his life for you and remain in him. Remember who you're connected to. Remember the vine. Remember Jesus and remain in him. 
And what we do will flow out of that relationship. And it will be incredible, and it will be wonderful, and it will be life-giving, and it will show the world around us that his love for us and his love for them is real. Bottom line, the root produces the fruit. And the fruit proves the root. It points to Jesus. If everything is healthy, we can't have one without the other. It's not about you. You can't earn it. The Holy Spirit produces the fruit when we remain in Jesus. And the fruit we produce shows that our relationship with him is healthy and it is connected. And when we truly believe, and we truly believe in Jesus, it all happens. Because Jesus makes it happen in you and in me for his glory. Let's pray. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Before I jump into prayer, I just want to ask you, if you're here this morning and through the message this morning, you've realized that you're not really connected to the vine. I'm not saying you've drifted. I'm saying you're, you don't have a relationship with Jesus the way you, you need to. Maybe the, the problem was belief that you weren't truly surrendered to him, or maybe the problem was your understanding of Jesus. But one way or the other, you know that you're not connected to the vine the way you're supposed to be. You're, you're not saved. And I'd love to pray with you this morning, give you that opportunity to say, Jesus, I want to make you the Lord of my life. I want to give my life to you. I want to get connected to you in a way maybe I've never been before or a way that I know I'm supposed to be. If that's you, would you just lift your hand and I'll pray for you this morning before we close the service? Thanks. Anybody else? Awesome. We'll pray for you in just a moment. The next thing I want to pray for this morning is you're sitting here this morning and you're a dried branch. There's no life. There's nothing flowing through you. And you need to get grafted into the vine again. You need to remember who Jesus is and practice remaining in his presence. And you need that life to flow through you again. Your relationship with him has just become stale and dry, and that is not what God intended for us to experience. And if you would like me to pray for you this morning that there would be new life that would flow through your relationship with him, would you just lift your hand now and I'll pray for you? Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thanks. Awesome. God, we come to you this morning. We thank you that you have done everything that needs to be done to secure our salvation. God, we, we surrender to you today. And I pray for those that lifted their hands in the beginning and said, Jesus, I... I've recognized today that I am not where I need to be. I, I don't truly have that saving relationship with you, but I want to. I want to give my life to you. I want it to become real, maybe in a way it never has. Lord, I pray that as they just whisper a prayer to you, that, God, you would come flooding into their life, Holy Spirit, that you would transform their lives in a powerful way. God, let this be the first day uh, that they have ever experienced something this remarkable, this transformational. God, let let that new story become reality in their lives. And Lord, I pray that as they do, this would not just be an emotional moment, but God, this would be a moment where they make a decision 
that they can look back on this day and say, no, I remember that day in that room with these people around me, I made a decision that I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm not turning back. God, I thank you for what you're doing in their hearts right now. And Lord, for those who lifted their hands and said, my relationship, my walk with God is dry. I'm one of those dry branches. I'm I'm not useful to God right now. I'm not bearing fruit because I'm not remaining in Jesus. I'm not abiding in him. And Lord, I pray that you would just let your Holy Spirit come freshly upon them today. Lord, I pray that that life-giving, that sap in the metaphor would flow through them. God, they would sense your love in a real way. Your presence would just inundate their lives that their soul would become deeply connected with you in this moment. And Lord, I pray that as that happens, that God, they would recognize and they would be reminded daily of the need to spend time with you, not just uh, out of an obligation or checking a box, but God, in the sense of remaining, of continually staying connected to our creator. And Lord, I pray as we do that, God, that we would be fruitful followers of you. God, that every one of us would bear fruit in a way that's going to scream to the world that you are real, that your that your life-changing power is real, that you have worked through broken and messed up people like us, and you have transformed us into the likeness of Christ. And Lord, I just thank you for what you're going to do as we remain. God, help us as a church to be a church who remains in you. And let our church bear fruit as each one of the branches sitting in these chairs today begins to bear fruit. Let it cause life change everywhere, God, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless y'all.